podcasting from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, known as the City of Bridges. This is Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. I am your host, Christy Knights, C-suite executive coach, expert witness, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and best-selling author, the revolutionary leader in business and life. Thank you for joining us. I am so grateful for you and your willingness to share time and space. Today, I am joined by a hero, a person who has lived through difficulties in life and rose to a place of joy and service to others. In true hero form, our guest will share his story authentically so others may know they are not alone. Meet Jeffrey Hazlett. Let me tell you some words about Jeffrey before we get started. Jeff is a primetime TV and podcast host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and global business celebrity. Jeffrey Hazlett is a primetime television host to C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett and executive perspectives on C-Suite TV and business podcast host of all businesses with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. He's a global business celebrity, speaker, best-selling author, and chairman of C-Suite Network, home of the world's most trusted network of C-Suite leaders. Hazlett is a well-traveled public speaker, the author of two best-selling business books, The Mirror Test and Running the Gauntlet, and Think Big, Act Bigger, The Rewards of Being Relentless. Hazlett is one of the most compelling figures in business today and a member of the CPAE Speaker Hall of Fame, not to mention leading business expert cited in Forbes, Success, Mashable, Marketing Week, and Chief Executive, among many others. He shares his executive insight and commentary on television networks like Bloomberg, MSNBC, Fox Business, and C-Suite TV. Hazlett is a former Bloomberg contributor, editor, and primetime host, and has appeared as a guest celebrity judge on NBC's Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump for three seasons. He's a turnaround architect of the highest order, a maverick marketer and C-suite executive who delivers scalable campaigns, embraces traditional modes of customer engagement, and possesses a remarkable cachet of mentorship, corporate governance, and brand building. Today, I welcome Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? Good. After that interview, there's no more time for the rest of the interview. It's over. It's finished. Oh my goodness, what a <laughs> mouthful. It I is. you are all that glamour. Today, we are going to get down and dirty about who you are as a person and how you got to be so successful. How's that well, sound? That's awesome. That's, uh, the, you, when you hear that, it reminds me of the first time I met my wife's great-grandmother. She's about four foot eleven, and my wife's five foot one. About 105 pounds. I'm six foot three, 200 and you know two two yeah the 280 yeah. pounds. And and the first time I met her, she looked up at me. She looked at Tammy. She looked way up at Tammy. She looked way up at me. She turned back to Tammy and said, "Isn't he? Isn't he bigger than necessary?" And so that's what I, that interview. That that introduction is bigger than necessary. There you go. But thank you so much. Absolutely. And we are going to just take it apart and talk about truly what makes you a hero today. So Jeff, can you share with our audience growing up, what was it like to grow up in your household? Uh, well, my dad was in the military. So it, there was a good portion of my life where he was gone, either on temporary duties around the country. He was a mechanic for a, a B-52 
bomber. So he was part of what's called the 48th OMS, United States Air Force. And then, but he also served in, in Vietnam for three different tours of duty. So mm-hmm. a great, great deal of my, my childhood, he was gone. And my parents, of course, divorced when they got back, when he got back, because it's tough when they're yeah. serving abroad and all those kind of things in different time back then. And my mother was a bookkeeper who later became a really great realtor and, and businesswoman. Um, so, but yeah, we, you know, to be honest with you, we grew up kind of lower middle class, I would say, you know, the bag or, you know, I would say, I never knew we were poor, but we weren't rich. Again, we lived in mobile, mobile home parks for the most part. I, that's where I do remember that, you know, and, mm-hmm. or on base housing from time to time. But, and then, uh, yeah, when my parents got divorced, uh, I had to make a choice of who to go live with for a while. So I finally... Okay you know, went to live with my father and then I moved out of the house when I was 16. I've been on my, on my own ever since. Yeah. Wow. What about siblings, Jeff? I had a brother and a sister and then I have two, uh, two, two brothers that are, my dad remarried a gal that was about six years older than I was. Okay. Um, yeah. So imagine that. Um, yeah. And so young gal. And so my, my brothers are the same ages as my children. Mm, And so I have two young brothers who are the same ages as my own children or pretty close to it, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in age. And um, but, yeah, that's sort of that's that's my family. And, of course, my mother remarried and and, uh, you know, you have mixed families. So and and those of those those siblings, those stepbrothers and stepsisters have been in and stepsister have been in my my life for, what, 35, almost 40 years now. Right. Right. That was away at the military. What was your role in the house? Uh, I, I was the oldest brother, so yeah. I like to say I was in charge, you know, no, <laughs> <laughs> my sister, my sister might say otherwise, my, my younger sister, I was the oldest of three and I had a brother who actually passed before I was born. Mm, okay. Um, so, you know, even though I was the oldest, I wasn't the first, but nonetheless, um, consider myself. So my job was to be the, you know, when dad was gone, I was, the, as you would say, the man of the house, you yes. know? And yeah. so I, I assumed those roles when he was gone and took care of things. And I was mm-hmm. expected to, you know, do my chores, do my duties and which I had to do. And, you know, and I, and I always had a job, you know what I mean? Not, not just a job in the house, but a job outside. You know, I, I, ever since I was about six or seven, I've always had a job doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Making money. Right. So that work ethic is really deep seated in you from a small child. Yeah. Well, it's not only that. Uh, yeah, that's true. But I'm also a little bit of a workaholic. You know, a lot of people are, you know, alcoholics or uh, addicts of some kind. And uh, I'm an addict from that perspective, which is tough sometimes because I have to learn to know when it's getting dangerous for me, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was your relationship like with your mom through those years? Oh, good. My mom was close. My dad was fairly close. My dad was strict, you know, um, probably didn't have the best relationship with him as I would have liked, but just because that was just the nature of life back then. Sure. But, and yeah, my mom and I were close um, all through the years. Um, you know, but you gotta, you know, but I also, my mother's passed now, but during the, when I think about those years, then she was still a young woman, right? When I was 10, when I was 10, she was, uh, she was 28, right? Okay. Uh, you know, so maybe she was 27, 27, 27, 28. So, um, when you think about that, she still was still a pretty young woman Mm -hmm. and then, Mm -hmm. you know. And so by the time she was 31, 32, my parents divorced, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so she's still a young woman. So she was out having a good time too. So Yes, yes. Yeah. What Which was that is, like? Yes. Go ahead. 
It's always tough. I think that's tough. You know, of course you don't know when you're, you know, 12, 13 years old, you don't know. Right. You know, you know, you know, I just knew there were a lot of guys around, yeah. um, you know, or that, you know, but, but she always, in, you know, we included the family. I mean, I can remember the weekends, we would always go up to these like a freight cabins where these guys had motorcycles and, hmm. and we we're out in the woods and we're driving motorcycles. I got to do that. And these guys, and by the way, these guys were musicians. Huh. So they were, they, they hit the road, they played, you know, they used to play with like Charlie pride and, and, wow. and they, yeah, and those guys. Right. Yes. And so, yeah. And I, of course, you know, back then I lived in Georgia, so I knew Leonard Skinner and oh, a favorite of mine. Yeah. But I knew these people and Greg Allman yeah. and Greg Allman and those guys, I knew those people. My life has been like Forrest Gump mm. where I've always known these very famous people or different people through my whole life. Yes. And, and it's, and some people look at me like, yeah, bull, it's full, you know, you're full of it. And, but no, no. Yeah, no, I know Clint Eastwood. I know Steven Spielberg. I know, yeah. uh, you know, I know the, I know I've met every president, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so forth and so on. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, you know, I, you know, give a good, another idea is like when I was like, Hey, what, how old was I? About seven, it must've been about 12. Okay. And yeah. my, and my dad and my dad was overseas. Okay. And my parents divorced by then or separated. And my mother was dating a head coach or a football coach from the University of Georgia. Mm. And so he was trying to get in good with me. And he gave me a helmet from the University of Georgia Bulldogs. I still remember that helmet. The old, it was an old-fashioned helmet. And, and then the, I remember one day we went out to see Richard Nixon, who's flying into the Air Force Base. Wow. And, yes. I got, and, and guess what? what? Um, because my mom knew somebody. I yeah. got to go on Air Force One. Oh my gosh, that's incredible! Yeah. <laughs> which was cool. Which was cool because here I am, like you know, because I now. By the way, and I love politics, and so I used to help campaigns, and I used to work campaigns, used to work okay. for the United yeah. States, and then eventually I went on to work for the United States House, the United States Senate. But Richard Nixon was there, and I met him, and then I got to take, and I and I stole a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> off the plane, off the plane with the presidential seal. And I still have that pack of cigarettes oh, today. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, something you had said to me just a few seconds ago, Jeff, was that watching mom with men coming in and out was hard. Can you talk to us a little bit about what was difficult about that? Well, I think- I'm, the, I'm the man of the house and you think that's the way your family should be. Your family should be a family, right? So yeah. well, who's this guy? Right. <laughs> and, and by the way, when you're, you know, uh, you're not, uh, you, you know, we like to say that, and I don't think men were, I think men were more different than they are today. Yeah. In terms of awareness and understanding, you, you know, um, like the lion who, <laughs> excuse me, who meets the, the, the new lion cub of the lioness. Yes. They usually kill him. Uh-huh. And so I can remember my mother when she remarried um, this one gentleman and now his family, by the way, came in mm-hmm. and his kids come in and with our kids. And now we're supposed to be this blended family. And by the way, I knew his kids beforehand, okay. yes. um, and, but he didn't like me. So, uh-huh. you know, so I became the real outsider and, yes. and, and that relationship. So that's when I decided that, hey, look, when my dad comes back, I'm leaving. Okay. Okay. So outside, how did you cope with feeling on the outside? Cause that's such a common feeling in blended families. You, you know, you just do, right. You don't, I don't think I sit there and analyze those feelings when I was a kid. I just went right. off and did my own stuff. So I, okay. I, yeah, I did, I did my own stuff. I was always fairly independent. I, I remember joining a hunting club, hmm. which was cool. And I had other men in my life who were great role models for me, like Mr. Fred Penson, 
and yeah. Harold and Harold Jones. Harold was a Fred Pinson was a was a plumber. I met him after I met Harold. But Harold was okay. my baseball coach. Okay, great. And, and he lived uh, two doors down from us. Yes. And he was a former gunner in the United States Marine, a helicopter gunner. Okay. And he and his wife um, were just, you know, wonderful, wonderful people. Yes. And they, I was their adopted kid. In fact, they named their first child after me. Really? Huh. Which was kind of yeah. cool. And I, you know, I, and his brother was a coach as well. And mm-hmm. he loved baseball. And so I, and then he, t- you know, he took me to join a hunting club, which, yes. you know, I was considered like one of the men. So, and I was, I remember I was at that time, like 14. Yes. And, you know, I had to save up the 75 bucks to join the club. Big J, it was called Big John's Hunting Club. <laughs> I like in, that. In Forsyth County, Georgia. I can still remember where it was. And, and uh, you know, they would take me up and I would, you know, go hunting every weekend. And I would go hunting for, you know, when we got off of school for a week or two. And yes. they, you know, the men would let me go up. And, of course, I had my own duties. I had to, I had to wash dishes and I got mm-hmm. to shoot the camp meat. If you know what that means. Wow. Yes. I got to go up early and shoot, uh, shoot a deer. Um, and then we'd hang it and then we'd, we'd, uh, dress it out. And then that's what we'd eat for the week or whatever. And that's, yeah. that was my job. Yeah. So whenever you're younger, what I can hear Jeff too, is that the building blocks of resilience that are wonderful for our audience to hear that feeling on the outside, which is not only true in blended families, but even at, at work in the office, being able to develop that identity outside of it. So being mm-hmm. able to seek your own hobbies and reach out and connect with other people who really not only bridged those gaps, but allowed you to feel confident and good about who you are. And what you know, I should be paying you for this session. I didn't know this was an interview. This was becoming a session. But, you know, that, but I also call it resilience and I also call it, you know, relentlessness because, mm-hmm, I like look, that. you know, look, I bought and sold over 250 companies in my career, 25 billion in transaction. There's, I, you know, you yeah. know, like getting prepping for this interview or going on, you know, Celebrity Apprentice. Ah, just do it. Go. I mean, like I told you, just ask me the questions. You know, I was saying my first rodeo. So, yeah. meaning I feel comfortable pretty much in every situation that, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm comfortable about who I am. Yes. And, and if you're comfortable about that. But at the same time, don't think that even though you're at the epitome and look, look, I, I manage budgets of 17 billion. I managed, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of people. I bought and sold companies. I've changed people's Mm -hmm. lives. I've for good and for better, you know, uh, for better and for worse. And, 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 but don't think that even at that height of your career and who you are and your success, that you don't have the same fears uh, hopes, dreams, and aspirations that anyone else does at any level. It's, it's the same. And, and I tell people there's no difference between building a business on Main Street in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and on Wall mm-hmm. Street. It's just zeros. Yeah. And so the same feelings that you have, you know, as a, as, a, as a kid you have when you're older, you have the same feelings of if you're not as successful in what you would think in other people's eyes or your own eyes – as success as you have in your own or what other people would see success, you, you still have the same thing. And, and, you know, even though you, you and others might look at it like that, I, you know, as an individual, you look at it your way. Yes. So what allowed you to really develop who you are and be confident in that? Well, I didn't have much other choice, right? Hmm, survival. That, 
Well, that's part of it. Yeah, that was a good piece of it. You know what? You know, it's like you know. Sometimes, look, would I like to be home in my ranch in South Dakota rather than say in New York City? But no, that's what I got to do. Yes. You know, so you got to do it. You got to do. That's what I signed up for. That's the commitment I made. So, unless until I change the promise or the commitment, Mm -hmm. that's what I have to do because that's 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 who I am. That's the person I live with. That at least that integrity. I you know, and Mm -hmm. I stand for that. So that's what I do. Absolutely. How do you teach your, your staff, the people you, you meet, how to be relentless? Well, we talk about what I call conditions of satisfaction. There's a lot of training in this particular genre around that. And I talk about making promises. So then in everything that we do, um, in everything, I don't care if it's business or in personal life or spiritual, or whatever, yes. um, there, um, you know, marriages, you know, to put it in any aspect, you know, Stephen Covey talks about you got to be balanced in with your friends, your Mm -hmm. family, your spirit and your business. You know, I think that's a pretty good way of looking at it. The four way teeter totter, you know, that remember that four seater teeter totter that goes back and forth (laughs) and you you should try to be in balance, but you never really truly are because one thing takes precedent over the other. And, and, but you got to give no matter what you do, there's always some, something's Mm -hmm. given, something's given. Yes. Uh, it's hard to find harmony in it, all of it. So it's any given time, usually out of harmony to some extent. Yes. But that, well, this is okay, but you, but you got to have the buckets, the four buckets. You got to fill them, try to fill them equally. You should. Yes. And, um, and so in everything we do to get back to that point, there's a customer and performer mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. And um, where one of us is a customer and one of us is a performer. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's important for us to realize that in in the marriage some days and and moment and by the way it changes from hour to hour minute to minute right very true yes. and so there's an action cycle that goes with that and so some days I'm the customer and some days I'm the performer and you know mm-hmm. to for me with my team it's good for me to be a great customer uh-huh. and so I need to be clear about what are the conditions of satisfaction that you're going to take care of for mm-hmm. me and once you make the promise you deliver the promise or come back and renegotiate the promise absolutely because you know? outside of it, like no one's gonna die yes you know and most of the stuff you do for me or for us so right. given that you know what is it we can get done you know mm-hmm. so yeah. okay got it you're, you so you're not gonna have it on tuesday Are, am i gonna die right um, probably not okay so given that you know how, how can we do it or what can we do differently yeah, yeah. Yes. One of my primary leadership skills that are important for me to teach leaders is how to impart value in those people we teach, work with, or live with. So how would you say that you impart value to each of your staff members? Well, that's a good point. Well, it depends on whose value. Is it my value or their value? Ah, their value. Yeah. See, so, well, then it has to be around what is it they want to get out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to, so we'll have that discussion. So what is it that, you know, are your own personal condition of satisfaction? Everybody's asked me to challenge people and that's, that's what I would challenge you is what is your own personal conditions of satisfaction? Mm-hmm. You know, for me, they're about three things. This is how I measure things. And very simple. I try to keep things simple because my life is complicated. So I like simple stuff. Very good, yeah. So one is I want to build wealth because that's how we keep score. So I want my children and my grandchildren to have a better life than what I had financially yes. and without the restrictions that I had. You know, there were times in my life where I would run down to Kresge's, okay, mm-hmm. the, the cheap version of Kmart, mm-hmm. and at the end of the night, buy up all the sandwiches that they had. Mm-hmm. To, to, and, you know, that was the time of my life when I had that. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't want my family to have to worry about that stuff, you know, or turn the lights on or those kind of things. So there's times in my life where I didn't have that stuff where I would rush. I would go early to the school yes. to, to grab a shower, you know, because I didn't have a, I was, I was living in somebody's couch or something for a while. So that's one. So, so building wealth. The second is then um, I want to learn new things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So it's got to be, emotionally simulating like now i have people who are offering me like jobs in political administrations or uh or um you know a, a daily talk show on you know on a, on a network yeah. that doesn't and I, what am i going to learn from that i'm not going to learn it's not and the third thing is it's got to be fun <laughs> if it's not fun i don't want to do it so if my hassle factor is greater than my fun factor yes. i'm out Love it. I'm done. Am I? You know, and that goes with conversations, everything. Yes. If, you know, if you discount my opinion, if you uh, don't respect the, you know, the contribution, and I'm out. It's yeah. not fun, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not being in ill tolerance, just being very, very, very demanding about this is what I, my personal condition of satisfaction. Absolutely. One thing I have noted about you, Jeff, and we haven't known each other very long, is how relatable you are, how personable you are. Now, whenever I read your bio, I'm sure there's a lot of my audience who says, okay, that's pie in the sky. Like I can barely afford, you know, my mortgage. Like how can I relate to this guy? But yet there is such a heart space that I have for you and can connect with you. Can you share what is it about you that you've cultivated that makes you so approachable regardless of economic status? <laughs> you know, I, I was, a lot of it was the upbringing. Well, thank, first of all, thank you for that. I just call it being human. Right. Mm -hmm. So you almost gonna make me cry, but it's just, it's just being human with other people. And I couldn't, I couldn't imagine someone else not doing that. Mm -hmm. By the way, and by the way, it pisses me off because I, people, I do know people that don't do that. I know people who are snotty. I know people who don't return phone calls. I know people who, who diminish people who Mm -hmm. are, you know, less fortunate, you know, you know, for the grace of God, go I. I mean, that's, I mean, there's, what's the difference between me and that person? It's not smarts. It's not, it, you know, it's, it's a whole bunch of things that happen as part of it, but, you know, but in my upbringing, you know, look, if you have to clean a toilet, you clean the toilet. If you have to you do this, you do this. And, you know, I was, I was actually talking to a, to an organizer of a conference today. I said, whatever you need me to help doing, I'll help you. If you need to, you know, help clean the toilets, he goes, I, I might take you up. I said, don't, dude, ask me. I don't care. I, you know, I'm going to come and give the keynote for this guy. And I just said, I want to be the least of your problems. Yes. Now, I also know that the more you give, the more you get. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you give, 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 you get, get, get. So, but my early in my life, my parents taught certain things like there's no, you know, my, my grandmother, think about this. My grandmother was a housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Okay. My grandfather was a janitor at a church. Okay. That's just the nature of who we are. So there's no job. He, by the way, he was really good at it. I was a janitor at one time. I was really good at it. Yes. And, and uh, you know, so yeah, when I remember one time I called one of my dad's friends, Charlie, and my dad backhanded me like you wouldn't, I mean, like whap me, it went pretty hard okay. and said, don't you ever forget that's Mr. Longino. Okay. That you know, so, so those were things like that. So you know, and of course, him being in the military, there was a lot of that kind of, you know, rigidness right. that you had to occur. But at the same time, you know, he's fairly, I mean, my dad was pretty lax on, 
you know, how I participated, you know, and always made sure that we were at the table, mm-hmm. even when, even when, you know, he also believed you're a kid, you don't talk, you can listen, but you're not going to talk, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. So, yeah. yes. I think I treat people, I know some people think I'm gruff sometimes and that kind of deal, but I'm just direct. Cause I know what, yes. yeah, cause I know what I want and I know that comes off. And of course I'm, you know, six foot three something. I'm right. a big <laughs> guy. Yeah. I'm a big guy. So, so sometimes I don't know that that's intimidating. So I have to be careful of that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, so I have to really truly try to try to make sure of that because it was only until like in my, I think it was like 30, I was playing rugby at the time and I saw a picture of me okay. and I, and I thought, who's that big guy in the back row? And that was me. <laughs> and, and it was, it was the first realization that I ever had that, holy crap, I'm kind of a big guy mm, compared yeah. to other people. So, you know, but my, my belief is I just like to be treated the way I want to be treated. So if I treat you like this, you should be able to treat me that way back, you know? Yes. So it's, uh, Absolutely. Can you share with our audience a struggle that you may have had sometime in your life and how you worked through that struggle? Every day. Mm. Christy, every day there's a struggle. Every day. Mm. You know, I've had financial issues with uh, things that go wrong. I've had, you know, but at the same time, I've had great windfalls too. So, uh, you know, but every day, you know, it's like someone said, what's the greatest thing you, you know, greatest mistake you've ever made? I don't know. I haven't done it yet. (laughs) meaning I make them all the time. I'm going to make another one coming up or what's the greatest thing you've ever done. Well, I don't know. I haven't done it yet. Yes. I mean, so that, that's my philosophy. And I don't dwell much on the past stuff. I don't, it, it it shapes who I am, but it doesn't define Mm -hmm. me in terms of what I will be or what I really am, Mm -hmm. you know, because you can change that. You can always change that. Mm Mm-hmm. So on a daily basis, what would you say that you struggle with that you work through? Time management. Yeah. <laughs> we can all relate uh, to that one. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's yeah, that's that's probably my biggest one in terms of I think of other things or I don't get the things done that, that I think are the most important things in it because I let other things shape what I'm doing. That's mm-hmm. that's my biggest thing that I have right now. Yeah. As you know, the, the platform for this podcast is really looking at the stigma of mental illness and being able to really get the word out there. So has there been a time in your life where you may have struggled with anxiety or depression or touched by it in your life? Yeah, I don't suffer with anxiety. Although, mm-hmm. I, you know, before every speech, I got to go, uh, I got to go bathroom about yeah. <laughs> yeah. but just like everybody <laughs> else or, there. <laughs> I, i'm i'm or on a plane i'm the same i gotta get up and go to the bathroom right before they take off right. or i will i will freak out all right that so that <laughs> because, well because i'm i like to be so much in control and i'm not in control and i'm always worried yeah. that it's going to be two hours on the tarmac and i won't be able to go so you know something right. like that yes, so, I yeah, so that, that that's that's probably my little every and my family knows this. Like, oh, he's got to go, you know. But uh, a depression is an issue for me. Yeah, yes. yeah. Like a lot of, I think a lot of successful, like everybody. I think you know, there are certain times of the year where it's not good. Yes. Um, and I I'm I understand those times of the year, so I watch that. Good. Um, but it took me a while to figure out. I mean, like there were times when I would check out for a week or so and just go sit in a hotel room somewhere. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and I know other execs who are the same way. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I'm, and I'm 
what AD, what do they call it? ADD or something. I'm also that a little bit. Yes, You and I are very much alike. <laughs> yeah. But you know, to me, that's just, uh, that's like, like, it's like, you know, someone said one time, well, what's your, you know, childhood? Why well, every, every year I just went to a different school every year. And basically every year up until high school, I went to a different school and someone said, well, geez, wasn't that, that's kind of weird growing up like that. I said, no, it's what's weird. It's growing up in one place all your yes. life. Yes. And, and for, for me, it was normal. Right. right. So, yeah. Right. So what, what might be, you know, depression, what might be this, what might be that ADD or whatever that to me is normal. Mm -hmm. So it's only when you start to realize there are other healthier ways of doing things yes. that you start to realize that, no, that wasn't as normal as it, well, but who define normal? Normal is okay, whether it was healthy or not. That's a yes. different word. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. I think, you know, we know 80% of America is struggles with depression. And, you know, another 42% really struggle with ADD. And so those are so common that I think it helps to bring that out and being able to look at, hey, look, you know that timing in life when that happens. You know year to year what to do to be able to work yourself through that. And I think that's critical. And I'm not sure if you're aware of it for entrepreneurs, we are seeing the suicide rate skyrocket. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? No, no, we I see it. Yes. You know, there, there are many, you know, we have our hero club and our CEO yes. groups and um, you know, with the C-suite network and we see this quite often and, right. and um, yeah, without question, I see a lot of CEOs who are ADD. Yes. Great number of very successful oh. CEOs. I can list huh? it, it, many of them that I know that are very good friends of mine that are ADD. And, and there are some CEOs that I know who have committed suicide and other executives who have committed suicide because of depression. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's been part of this podcast is really being able to get the word out there in my form of soulful leadership that uh -huh. I do is to work with high-end CEOs to be able to work through those emotions so that you can manage and be successful. But a great point, Albert Einstein, all of these major movers and shakers struggled with depression, ADD. Oh, yeah. So, well, look at George Eastman, Eastman Kodak committed suicide. Yes. You know, probably one of the brightest uh, minds in the world up there with, uh, with Edison and Einstein and, and Ford and they, but they all suffered from that same thing. Yeah. They do. I appreciate your vulnerability and, and your honesty around it. Cause it's difficult to talk about. Can you address your daily routine? What do you do each day to take care of yourself to be able to move through those days? Not enough. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'll be clear about that. I've got to, I've got to, I'm trying to eat healthier. I got to yeah. ex exercise more. I will tell you that even with my own depression and the other stuff that I suffer, mm -hmm. if I don't get out and do real physical things, yes, it, it, manis it manifests itself in a dark and, and, and bad place. Mm, yes. Like uh, I, I can tell you right now I'm in that mood where it's like, you know, cut to the chase, you know, uh, where I'm a little bit more curt yeah. because I haven't been out at the ranch, you know, working the way I like to work. And, and it's, it's manifesting itself in the way that I respond to people and so forth. And I know that. And so I have to, I have to really watch myself okay. so that I start the day in a very good mood. Right. Yeah. Uh, but my, my day pretty much, I start very early and I work, uh, you know, quietly uh, for an hour or two before I actually really get up. Okay. Um, you know, I, I might lay in the bed. I answer all my emails. I look at ahead. I check my Facebook. I check my Twitter feed. I check my Instagram and, and do some of the stuff that I want to do. 
and then I prioritize what my day is going to look like. And then I get going and go uh, and, and start. I usually get to the office by seven, eight, somewhere mm-hmm. in that 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 range. Yes. And then I pretty much work until the first appointment that I have in the evening. Usually I have one or two cocktail events mm-hmm. and then usually one or two dinners. Wow. Yeah. Um, depending on where I'm at, um, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, social activity. Like tonight, I've got two functions. I've got a thing for our C-suite TV that we're doing with a bunch of agencies in, in our new studio. And then, and then I head to dinner with the, um, a pretty big energy CEO. Okay, great. You had alluded earlier to being a workaholic. How do you balance that when you see, gosh, it's been a long day? Mine come in spurts. Yes. So I I work really hard for a period of time, and then I crash hard for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of my cycle. It. Okay. I'm not one of those kind of. Um, it's you know five o'clock. I'm going to work out here and do this, do that, and and I'm going to tune and turn the TV off here or, or watch this or read a read. Although I do read every day. Yes. Uh, that's one of the things I go to bed reading every night. Um, usually with the book on my chest, you know, I fall asleep yeah. with that, you know, but, um, and I typically used to, when I've had more time, I, I usually read in the morning for an hour, but I haven't had that time. Okay. How do you cultivate your relationships being such a busy man? Um, well, I'm always take interest in whoever I'm talking to and the way I talk. And then I have a close group of people I'm always checking in with. Great. But I check in with a lot of people. I'm one of those people that's probably... A little bit more shallower, but across more people. Yes. And, and although that shallowness is, is our deep relation. There's people I connect with immediately, and it's though we're soulmates. Mm. And and I have those. Uh, I have a lot of those. Good. I have a lot of those. Uh, as, as opposed to my wife, who would meet one person and spend all night with them, I will meet everybody in the room. Yeah. And and. Um, but I always have, but I have really good close friends. I have, but I have lots of them. I have lots and lots of friends. And I mean, real friends. These are real friends. These are people. And what I call about friends, friend, these are people that would carry your casket. You know, wow. yes. that's the way I describe it. You yes. know, these are ca- casket carriers. I mean, they're they're, essential. Yeah. 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 So if your wife was sitting here, what would she say that she loves about you? That, that, I'm, a, uh, that I'm a lot softer than what people think. Right. <laughs> That, yes. that's what she would say right um yeah that's what she would say mm-hmm. that that most people don't know that that they don't you know my close friends know that side but most people don't know that side yeah yeah which which makes sense how long have you been married jeff 36 years as of last week and we were engaged for two so i can i say 38 because I get credit for that. That's yeah, what I absolutely. Said. Absolutely. Yeah. When in, in your industry, most are divorced. So what has been the success in your marriage? Doing whatever she says. <laughs> uh, well, that's one thing. I mean, I mean, what I mean by that is, look, seriously, how important is it to argue about mm-hmm. this or that? Yes. Right. So she's one my best friend. That's, um, that's the without question. Yeah. So she's the one I love to laugh with, talk to, have fun with, enjoy just sit with. Okay. Mm. So that, and she's the yin to the yang. She's the opposite of me, right? She sings. I listen, you know, uh, (laughs) she's the artistic one and I'm not. Okay. And all those kind of things. She's all the good things of all the bad things that, that, that I will never be able to do. So, and you know, she's, she's a gentle soul and she's, you know, so 
so yeah. intuitive and all that stuff. So yeah. although we've, we, you know, you do the testing and you find you're the opposites, mm -hmm. but as you do more testing over the years, you find out you come more like each other, right? Yes. You know, so that's kind of cool, which is true. Um, but how does it work? We, we're very cool about respect of each other and the roles that we each have. So mm -hmm. if most people would look at me and consider me kind of a traditional male, you know, like uh, the breadwinner, the, the, the father, fig, the what? The alpha male. Yeah, exactly. So but which calls himself. <laughs> yeah, which, which, but, <clears throat> but you, what you probably don't know is my political views and my view about people and equality and, you know, race, color, you know, sex, uh, you know, gender, I don't care. Right. Um, and, and I'm very much an equal there. So, so for mm -hmm. us, she's the boss, you know, so, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the checking accounts are. I don't know where the bank accounts are. I don't know where, what we pay, what we don't pay. She, I, what is mine is hers, you know? And, and I always joke, what is hers is hers, but, <laughs> you know, but, but meaning but we became very traditional, although we're not traditional, yes. you know? So after a period of time, she stayed home. Okay. Yeah. Now she's worked along with our business and so forth, but by and large, she's taken on, those kinds of roles when that's not our real belief if, if, if that makes sense i mean yes. you, know, you know you know where you would think oh the, well, the wife's gonna stay home and so forth but that's right. wait yes yeah, she did but don't don't treat it like oh she's a housewife because yeah. she ain't um, you know that's, <laughs> right. yes. she's she's the boss and so mm -hmm. so i think that's kind of the thing i think that's that that's allowed that we've really defined the roles but we never had we never had to really talk about it much. It just happened. Mm -hmm. Loving each other right where you're at, not desiring to change each other, but compliment each other. Uh, she, we try to change every once, every once in a while. <laughs> she leaves magazines everywhere. I can't stand that. I'm, if you looked at my desk, everything has a place. And yeah. I can't. I have a real tough time with everybody else's desk around right. me because they're messy and they're, I, I don't like it. I, I, I don't like it. I mean, yeah. I, I and, and she's an expressive personality where you go, we share an office at home and our desks face each other. Okay. Her desk is filled with shit and piles of stuff <laughs> yes. and, uh, and boxes behind her. And mine is crisp and clean and neat. Mm -hmm. And when I sit down, I wipe it down yeah. uh, before I use it. Okay. And, uh, you know, God forbid if you took my stapler or my, or my, or my scissors yes. or, you know, things like that. So I'm very territorial about that stuff only because I travel so much and I like stuff in there. The whole, you know, I don't like wasting time having to set stuff up over and over. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. And I hear that you absolutely cherish her. I can hear that. Oh yeah. I, oh, I had a discussion with my nephews and nieces this weekend, um, cause they're going on a trip. Uh, to Iceland. And so I had a discussion. I said, well, who's carrying mom's bag? And they go, well, mom cares, but no, mom doesn't carry anything. That's right. Hey, hey, let me, let me tell you, you carry mom's bag. In fact, I, I don't want to see you hand your coat to your mom. Yes. If you take your coat off, you carry it, your coat yeah. and you carry mom's coat. <laughs> I love it. And yeah. you do this and that's what you do. And by the way, you carry your own bag. So I, I taught my kids the same thing. Whenever we go on a vacation is if you, if you, you pack it, you're carrying it. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and that's the way you learn. So before we wrap up Jeff um, and you share how to get in touch with you. Um, one thing that drew me to you 
originally is a servant attitude, this mm. desire to serve. And it was clear not only in your marketing materials um, as well as your bio, but just your presence is one of service. Can you speak to, you know, how, how your spirituality comes into that? What services to you in business and in your personal life? Well, you, you heard me say it a little bit earlier, when I'm going to go speak for somebody, I said, I want to be the least of your issues. Yeah. You know, I watch speakers, I watch prima donnas, I watch people walk in and 10 minutes before their presentation and give the slide on a deck to and take, try to take over the back area of the presentation hall mm -hmm. to get their speech rather than why don't you show up like 12 hours earlier and give it to them and make sure they have it or confirm they have it right. and, 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 and be nice, you know? Um, so yeah, my belief is the, the more you give and the more you serve, the more you get back. And, I think, uh, look, I didn't get to where I was at because I'm that good. It's because mm -hmm. someone helped me and showed me and opened doors and do those. So why aren't you doing the same thing for other people? And you get paid well for it, by the way, too. That's it. Uh, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve like the C-Suite network that we're doing today and the C-Suite TV and here, the Hero Club and all of our groups. Um, we're here to serve the people that we have and we're serving those execs and well, we get paid for that. Absolutely. So talk to us, Jeff, about C-Suite Network and your business. Well, we, we, you know, we've created the most trusted network of C-Suite leaders. So we're helping C-Suite leaders, you know, do the most that they can and be prepared for their job because it's not easy. You'd like to think, everybody says, oh, come on, these guys run millions and billions of dollars worth of companies. Yeah, but they're always in meetings. They're always sucked into things. They're always people coming at to them. My day is filled with people who bring me problems. Mm, yes. Okay. It's very rare. Do I have people who bring me solutions? So mm. by and large, my day is being King Solomon and dividing the baby. Mm. And that's what most C-suite executives, and by the way, the higher you go in a fortune company, mm -hmm. the, high, the, the, more, the more the baby you got to cut or whatever. I'm mean, using that a bad, kind of a bad analogy, but my point is that's all that happens all day long. And so I, I don't get to see what's going on. I don't get better education. I don't get um, you know, inside information that I would like to have about my industry and so forth because I'm so tied up. So what we want to do is just serve them. So how do we serve them? How do you be like with what you do? How do you be a better, more soulful person? You know, how do you, how do you be a better CMO? How do you be a better CEO? How do you be a better servant leader? How do you, how do you give more value back to the communities you serve? Well, that's the things that we do through the Hero Club and the C-Suite Network and our councils and, our, and, and through our education with TV and our education with C-Suite Radio Podcast. You know, those are the things that we do and, and, and that's what we're trying to do and we get paid for it. It's awesome. That is. So if someone wants to be a part of C-Suite, what, what are the criteria? Yeah, you got to be a VP or higher. So C-Suite means you can be a you know, CMO, CFO, CIO, C CTO, whatever. Um, you, so you, but in smaller companies, you're a VP of finance and not a CFO typically. And so of at least a company at $2.5 million or greater, and you can join. And if you qualify, you're a free member. 
just a free member. Wow. And if you want the services and benefits, well, then we have packages for you. You know, maybe it's a thousand dollars a year, but you get all this or, or maybe you just want to come to the conference or, you know, if you want to be a hero club member and you want to sign a pledge that says you're going to operate your business um, based on values, then we'd love to have you there too. Yes. Um, which is one of our fastest growing groups. Uh, it's just great to see so many heroes, just like mm-hmm. you talk about uh, where we have heroes that we recognize and we get together and it's just awesome. So for people to be um, C-suite radio, to do TV, or to do podcasts, what's the criteria? Do they need to make exceptional money like that, or what do they need to do? <laughs> no, you can have a – your TV show could be two people on Skype, as far as I'm concerned. But yes. you, the podcast, you got to have a podcast, and we loved it, and it's got to be in lifestyle or in business of some form. The TV shows have to have some value to them in terms of the TV. Right. Um, so we're – but – you know, as long as you're generating content, we'll be glad to take your show. Okay, great, which I think is so exciting. And what is the benefit of a CEO or someone like myself in being a part of C-Suite? Well, there's always about the, the first of all, there's the education and the shortcuts that you learn as part of it. Second's the network outside of your own community, mm-hmm. you know, where you might be a big dog in Chicago or in Sioux Falls, South Dakota or St. Louis, but how about meet all the other people and the other opportunities? Yeah. So we open doors that way in massive ways and then access mm-hmm. to capital. And then we have a little fun then too. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, you know, I'm part of C-Suite as you know, obviously Jeff, and I am tripping over the, the passion that I have for C-Suite because it feels like family and I haven't been there long, but my motivation for joining C-Suite was because I believe my message needs to be out to the masses. Yeah. I want to save lives from death by suicide, from mental illness, and I believe in your network to really get the word out in the masses. Well, we're, we're, we're seeing like 90 million people view the shows. We're seeing uh, millions and millions listen to the podcast every single month, So, which is awesome. We're getting to the right kinds of people. And the more we do, the more we grow. So together, all boats float. And so that's what really what we're trying to do. And, and it's so great that you said you feel like you belong because we do a really good job in the C-Suite Network of vetting everybody that comes in. Mm-hmm. So that you, you might, it's kind of like a country club and, and to some extent, and I say that in a biopositive way and yet you might sit in the room you might not like everybody there but they paid their dues to get in so so they belong so right away when you do sit down at a table you're sitting down with peers you know you're saying now that that peer might be running a billion dollar company Mm -hmm. but they're still it's a ceo to ceo cmo to cmo it's c-suite to c-suite and that's what's very unique i I learned that when i was doing my show for bloomberg i learned that when i was a a c-suite executive for many many companies when you're sitting in that c-suite and you know it's a place where 99 percent of the people who work for the company never get to go and when you're sitting in that c-suite you have different conversations. You have different different things that weigh on your mind, but yet it's a very much an exclusive exclusive group of people and, and talented group of people for that. I mean, you, you're not, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of idiots sitting around that table. And they're very heart centered. So who, regardless of what someone is making, you all feel like you're enough and equal to one another. Well, I, you know, you say it, this is really cool because in, I've got a new book coming out called the, the Hero Factor, which will be out in the fall. And it talks about these hero CEOs because there's a special group of CEOs that we see that are really running 
um, hero companies. And by, by running a hero company, you're running and you are a hero, you're a hero. And, and so that's what we define it. And so what we did was I've actually put a hero intensity chart together that describes mm-hmm. the kinds of people that we see leading and the kinds of companies we see. And I put them in four categories. One is a hero company running on great, with great values. Now you can be a great hero company or not so great hero company, but you're running it based on values. Then there's the do-gooders that, mm-hmm. that are really wanting to do right things, but they couldn't make money if their heart depended on it. And, and which doesn't help them, but it doesn't help them. It doesn't help them. Okay, to save the world, but not have enough money to go save the next generation. Absolutely. Okay, and then there's the losers. There's those loser companies that just rape and pillage, do the wrong things that they should be doing, and take advantage of people. And we know those companies. We've seen them. And there've been some pharmaceutical companies in the news recently. There's the Bernie Madoffs of the world. Those are real losers. And you see that, but but don't define the rest of the companies by that, right? Because they do. And then there's there's great operators. They're bottom line efficiency companies they do great um and so i talk about those in the book and i talk about how to identify them so great and when will that be released be out in the fall fall of uh, 2018 yeah yeah and and really the hero club i'm so excited about it's amazing you know when you look at leaders who again heart-spaced who are in in it to win it because they want to give back yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty fabulous to see. I can't wait until I sell my next company and be able to handle out checks for millions of dollars. Amazing. So, yeah. we, could talk, you know, we could talk all day. So yeah. <clears throat> share with us how they can reach you if they want your services. Well, just reach out to C-Suite Network, C-Suite TV, C-Suite Radio, C-Suite Book Club, or reach me out at Hazlet, H-A-Y-Z-L-E-T-T, Hazlet.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Snapchat. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Just you can, If yeah. you can't find me, you're not looking hard enough. That's right. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. You truly are a demonstration of heroism by sharing your story, which will save a life. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. Each show, we bring you a guest of revolutionary influence by living a life of nobility, courage, and authenticity. To meet other Knights of the Round Table or to be a guest on this show, go to christyknights.com. Join us next week as we cross the bridge to meet the next Knight to join the round table of revolutionary leaders of influence and change. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.